So who's doing good knowledge brokering now? Can you point to either individuals or organizations? Because I work there. I think CCL started its organization with major intent being knowledge mobilization and knowledge exchange. It was created not to fund new evidence production in the area of lifelong learning. It was created to help Canada and Canadians and Canadian institutions and systems solve chronic ongoing challenges in the area of learning and education. And because it was created to help solve these problems as opposed to foster a capacity in the academic world to undertake education research, its goal really was from the very beginning to do knowledge exchange. Is it doing it well? I think it's doing it well. It's still very young. I think the challenge with any organization that comes into uh, an environment with a mandate to make behavioral change and structural change and systemic change is it needs to develop its credibility. That's going to take time. It needs to develop its networks. That's going to take time. It needs to develop relationships with the key stakeholders on both sides, and that's going to take time. And fundamentally, it then needs to do what I would call a a systematic review or a systemic review. It needs to find out what evidence already exists and then where it plays, what role it plays. That takes time, and I think CHSRF, Canadian Health Services Research Foundation, was studying knowledge exchange and knowledge transfer in a very interesting way and was doing some interesting knowledge exchange initiatives around health-related evidence and knowledge translation. Personally, don't know of anybody who's stellar, any organization right now that's stellar in the area of knowledge exchange. So it's emerging, and I think that we've seen some of that leadership emerging in some of the people that I've interviewed in this podcast series. A segue to the next concept I want to talk about, which is leadership. Um, CCL is playing a leadership role, and you personally have been identified as a leader in knowledge exchange. Given that this is emerging, given that this is complex, given that people are learning things as they go along, what does good leadership look like in knowledge exchange? Boy, that's a tough question. You know, I've thought about it for years, actually. I still come at it from the demand side of the equation. Knowledge exchange for knowledge exchange sake, to me, is almost a waste of time. So I'm, I'm constantly looking at what the social, economic, environmental needs are in Canada and how can we meet those needs. Take the fact that Canada is trying right now to develop an agenda or a set of objectives around environment and environmental issues. We need to look around the world for the best evidence. It can't just be a made in Canada solution and it can't just be well, I think we're going to I think we're going to try incentives to people to reduce emissions or I think we're going to try using the stick. We're going to try disincentives to people who are abusing and, and are overly uh, creating emissions. It, it's not a matter, I think we should try this. To me, we need to look at the social issues. And I, if I were to be, if I were to say what would make, what would entrench knowledge exchange and knowledge mobilization as an ordre du jour or a way of doing business in this country, is that it has to be seen as value-added by the demand side, by the institutions okay. that are making decisions in complex environments and that need evidence. And if I go back again, and I won't go back anymore to the old concept of of stockbrokers and and the role, companies need equity and companies see the value of going to individual Canadians. And we have an institutional structure in this system through stocks and and through shares issuing that facilitates this role of stockbrokering. We don't have a similar uh, institutionalized approach within the mainstream decision-making world 
for seeking evidence. And I think that would be interesting. You know, right now it's done informally. Politicians, one of their major roles whenever, a new, whenever an issue emerges is to go back to their constituents and ask them. Right now, when an issue emerges that requires some sort of government intervention or attention, they tend to go, MPs or, or politicians will go to their constituency. If it's an issue around at a practice level, they tend to go to their constituencies. That's a natural recourse. Teachers will go to other teachers. Teachers will go to uh, to student bodies, to parent associations. They'll go to the in- the institutions, decision-making processes, whatever they are. There's not a natural right now, a natural bridge between the challenges in the decision-making world with going to this particular audience for solutions. Well, you just mentioned that the concept of value, and I think that that's actually really important in the business world. Values quite easily measured, right? It's stock value, it's uh, GDP, it tends to be fiscal, but when you're talking about environmental, when you're talking about social, when you're talking about education, these are complex, perhaps quote-unquote softer issues. It's not as easy to measure value. So uh, how do you know when you're getting real value from knowledge exchange? Another very good question. I think the challenge is the issues are so complex and so non-linear you can't put a dollar value on most of the issues that we're dealing with in CCL, lifelong learning issues. You can't say in five years we're going to significantly measure a decrease in illiteracy in Canada by X percent based on three interventions or 23 interventions um, of knowledge exchange type. So the issues are more complex in that the measuring is difficult. And the challenge that we always have is how do you measure outcomes? Right now, we're very successful at measuring output. And that's not bad. I think you need to start with outputs. The challenge with measuring outcomes is you need to identify what outcomes you are trying to achieve before you then launch the initiative because you'll bias your your approach. I mean, evaluation techniques are as rigorous as research methodologies are. And I think the important thing to do is to not try and set yourself up to be the be-all and end-all. The challenge for knowledge exchange is we are not going to see literacy levels, illiteracy rates drop. We are not going to see uh, graduation rates change overnight. We will see them long-term. So how do you measure a short-term intervention, which is usually what a knowledge exchange initiative is? They're projects, by and large. You will not be able to measure an immediate outcome from that. I think one of the things we might want to look to in the future If knowledge exchange and knowledge mobilization is about fostering relationships, then maybe what we need to do is stop thinking of the initiatives as initiatives and start thinking about them as long-term operating requirements. And so you you integrate the cost of knowledge exchange into your ongoing operating budget as opposed to saying, well, I've got $50,000 from CCL to do this knowledge exchange project. It's going to take a year, and then when I'm done, I'm done. I go apply for another grant to do something else. If we can... Stimulate a change in both the evidence production side and the demand side so that they see knowledge exchange as part of their ongoing work, that they actually start funding it in an ongoing way, I think then we can start looking at developing longer-term outcome measures that are measurable. Well, you've just pointed to some of the greatest challenges, and I think that's a, a, a phenomenal challenge. What are some of the rewards? The rewards are always seen in the initiatives themselves. CCL has funded dozens and dozens of knowledge exchange activities. Prior to CCL, I worked at Shirk and we'd funded some other ones. It's always in the comments that you get, the anecdotal comments you get from events, or the unsolicited emails you get from people who have 
engaged in your knowledge exchange initiative that says, you know, I didn't realize before now X. And that's usually from the academic side. I didn't realize there was such an appetite for the, the, the work that we're doing. On the demand side, it's usually driven, you know, I didn't realize there was a group of people out there that I could go to that are working on this area and that, that I could refer, I could use as almost advisors. And so it's the informal, um, I've never in all my years of doing this had somebody come back to me and said, as a result of that particular knowledge exchange project, we've now seen a significant increase in graduation rates for X. That's not happened. But I have had people develop those relationships. And if we say that the bulk of what we're trying to do with knowledge exchange is foster ongoing relationships, when you hear people say, yes, I've walked away, I've come away with a commitment to a relationship, I've come away with new contacts that are useful to me outside of what I would normally have done, because that's the key. Academics get together with academics all the time. Policymakers get together with other policymakers all the time. What we're trying to do is build relationships across those silos. When I hear somebody say to me, I've developed these relationships in a silo that I never would have otherwise engaged, and that's what I found valuable. They don't use that language, but that's what I, what I hear them say. Ten years, what will this look like? Ten years, unless there's a commitment from individuals for a sustained engagement in cross-silo relationships, this is going to be another fat. In 10 years from now, worst case scenario, 10 years from now we're still going to be inventing knowledge exchange. Somebody's going to wake up one day in, in, in Lethbridge, Alberta, and they're going to say, what a great concept, we should engage in that. And they're not going to look back to the history of the early 2000s and the late 1990s. Quite honestly, what we're talking about now, knowledge exchange, I used to use the term community development in the late 80s, bringing evidence and people together to influence behavior was something we were doing in the late 80s. And yet the academic world invented knowledge exchange, knowledge brokering in the late 90s. And so worst case scenario, somebody's going to be inventing knowledge. They're probably going to call it something different, obviously. We're going to be inventing it in the future because we haven't taken the steps to institutionalize the concepts and the change. Best case scenario is people wake up in funding circles in policy development arenas, whether it's, because it, it doesn't just have to be about money, but organizations, whether at the federal, local, or, or provincial level, can regularly become, can institutionalize the concept of, of engaging in relationship building with, with non-public uh, servants, for example, or non-teachers in, in academia to do something. And academics, academic institutions will evolve to the point where there is credibility given to the concepts of knowledge exchange and the institutions themselves have changed so that people get credit for actually doing knowledge exchange. Right now, tenure track is based on your academic publications, yet we're trying to say non-academic publications and non-academic work and activities are as equally important for you as an academic as, as the academic stuff. Ten years from now, if the institutions have bought into this, you'll, you'll see is institutionalized knowledge exchange and you'll see uh, a more vigorous I believe knowledge broker world where you have credentialed knowledge brokers. I think it's important to always just open up the floor. Is there something that we haven't put on the table that you need to say? Knowledge exchange isn't about organizing events to bring people together to talk to each other about a body of evidence. That's part of knowledge exchange and I think people have, people who are working in a very busy world, which we all are, tend to try and find the lowest common denominator as quickly as possible. 
And so they say it's not about academics getting together with academics. It's not about policy. So let's organize an event and bring everybody together, and we'll have. And then they they do exactly what is traditionally done in either academic or policy world. They set up talking heads at the front of a, a stage, and people will talk about their research results, or policymakers will talk about their policy needs. And that, to me, is not knowledge exchange. It's it's a degree of knowledge exchange, but it's just sort of padded knowledge dissemination, if I could call it that. So I think that what I try and get across to people is knowledge exchange is, is, is a lot more complicated. It sounds simple, bringing evidence and people together to influence behavior, but it's that chemical reaction that is so critical for success. So it's relationship building, but it's relationship building around evidence because, you know, I'm not a touchy-feely guy. I'm not one of these guys who believes that we'll go out and we'll do sort of the, the walks in the parks as a team. We're, we, we're coming together around a specific set of issues, and we're going to create a process that's going to help all of us benefit from coming, this coming so together. So it's that mutual benefit. It's that mutual benefit. Mutual benefit, mutual investment, mutual return. And that doesn't mean the same. Sometimes it's going to require money from one side, and other side it's going to be intellectual capital. Sometimes it's going to be intellectual capital from one side and networks and connections from another side. So I'm not just saying equal does not mean the same. I think all people around the table have to be created as equal or seen as equal, but not the same. So my big challenge with the world of knowledge exchange is that we don't diminish the field to a point of it's just simply organizing cross-silo events. It's much more complicated than that. Technology, which we haven't talked about a lot, plays a huge role, I believe. I mean, I, my own belief is that face-to-face interaction is required to develop trust. But I don't think in today's technological world that you necessarily need to sustain face-to-face in a regular way, but you have technology now that can, that can facilitate knowledge exchange. You need to have the tools and the people. So I would probably check bringing people, evidence, and tools, and that will cause the, the, the chemical reaction to occur. I think people have, my experience in Canada is that people have taken knowledge mobilization to mean organizing, they even sometimes use the term innovative, innovative events. But it's still just events. <laughs> I like, we funded a uh, knowledge exchange uh, RFP process in CCL, and we funded about 35 uh, initiatives so far, about 40, I guess, now so far. And some of them have been very creative in what they've tried to do and how they've defined knowledge exchange, how they've brought people together, how they've created that chemical reaction. And that, to me, is one of the greatest legacies, I think, of the knowledge exchange function in CCL is we don't necessarily create all of the definitions and all of the what knowledge exchange initiatives are, but if you have a good idea, you put together a solid team and you put together a solid methodology and you want to test it and you're going to evaluate it, then we, we look at it and we say, hey, let's try this. And so we funded some really innovative stuff over the years. Daryl, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. You're welcome.